Well, good morning. It is good to see you all this morning. Y'all look very lovely, I must say. I hope y'all are doing well. Uh, there's several guests here today. We want to say welcome. We're glad you're with us. It is a blessing to have you. Um, if you have a Bible, that's great. If you don't, we have one for you. And Rob is in the back getting them out of the cabinet right now. If you lift your hand up, he can get one to you because we are going to use them today. So as uh, John said this morning as he opened, he said Russell is away and he's doing a triathlon and um, hopefully he doesn't die. Hopefully he makes it through it and is back with us next week. But this morning we're going to continue in our series um, called Retrace. And we've been going through this, this series and it's, it's another look at life with Jesus. And, and today we're going to encounter a group of people who knew Jesus very well and as a result they tried to stuff him into their little box that they had made for him. Not, not literally, but figuratively. But the problem was that Jesus' purpose in his whole ministry was way too big to be contained in any box, dreamed up by the thoughts of mere men. In Isaiah chapter 55, verses 8 and 9, it says this, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Now I want to start off today by giving you a little context before we dive into into our text this morning, which will be in Luke. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Luke, the fourth chapter. And as I said, uh, I want to give you a little context as we start. And um, our, our focus today is going to be verses 16 through 30. But Luke chapter 4 verses 14 and 15 serve as a summary of the first year of Jesus' ministry after he was baptized. It says this, starting in verse 14, if you're there. It says, And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and a report about him went out throughout throughout all the surrounding country, and he taught in their synagogues being glorified by all. And between verses 13, the previous verse, and verses 14, or between the time Jesus was being tested in the wilderness and the time he appears here in Nazareth, the events of the first four chapters of John take place, which Russell finished up last week, if you remember, if you were here. Now, during this year of ministry, he had been introduced as the Messiah by John, called some, if not all of his disciples, cleansed the temple in Jerusalem, talked with Nicodemus, and proclaimed, in Samaria, proclaimed the gospel in Samaria where the woman at the well was saved, which we talked about last week. So when he returned, when he, when he returned to Galilee, a nobleman approached Jesus in Cana, where his son was, was, was ill in, in Capernaum. And he asked Jesus to heal the boy from a distance, and, and Jesus did that. You see, in just one year's time, Jesus had done some amazing things. But more importantly, he had taught and preached some amazing things. And these fantastic reports of his ministry had reached the people of Nazareth before he did. See, when he finally arrived, the level of anticipation and excitement was high. They were ready for Jesus to come. They wanted him to be there. So that brings us to our text this morning. And out of respect for the reading of God's word, I ask that you stand with me as we read. Chapter 4, starting in verse 16, reading through verse 30. 
And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the, and the, scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And and the eyes of all the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, Is this not Joseph's son? And he said to them, Doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, Physician, heal yourself. What we have heard you do in Capernaum, do here also in your hometown as well. And he said, Truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. But in truth I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heavens were shut up three years and six months, and a great famine came over all the land. And Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath, in the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of Elisha, and none of them were cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. When they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath, and they rose up and drove him out of the town, and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built, so that they could throw him down the cliff. But passing through their midst, he went away. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. Jesus just got kicked out of church. See, to fully understand the significance of this passage, we must first understand the Jewish synagogue system of worship. You see, the synagogue was a place for teaching and reading, and as a part of worship, a man in the congregation would be asked to read from the Torah or the law, and then he was to make remarks. And after this, a man would read from the prophets, and then he would make remarks. So Jesus was handed the scroll of Isaiah, and he carefully unrolled it from from back to front. It wasn't a book. It was a long scroll, and it wasn't divided up into into, uh, paragraphs and sentences. So he had to unroll it carefully and find where he was going to read. But before we leave this setting, there's something important I want you to note. I want you you to grasp here. It was part of, of the regular custom of Jesus to worship on the Sabbath in the synagogue. Now, you can be certain that there was things in the synagogue that Jesus did not agree with, yet he still went on the Sabbath. The synagogue was far from perfect, yet Jesus doesn't excuse himself from worshiping with God's people on God's day. You see, if there was anyone that that didn't need to go to church, it was Jesus. After all, he was God in the flesh. He conversed with his heavenly Father on a continual basis, but when the Sabbath day rolled around, where was he? He was in the local synagogue. You see, do you see the lesson here? That the Son of God took time out of every week to gather with others to worship, we should, have, we should as well. If it was important to Jesus, it should be important to us. See, if the Son of God took time to worship, we should as well. Even if you aren't 100% pleased with what goes on in your church, you should never get out of the good habit of worshiping with God's people. You see, when you come to church... The main reason you come here is to worship God. 
Sure, you will have fun, you will find fellowship and friendship, but the main reason you come to church is to to meet God in worship. Don't miss this important lesson from Jesus. Now looking back at what is happening in the text, Jesus is unrolling the scroll and he finds what he's going to read and read he does and then then he sits he sits and he begins to speak. It was a custom for for who was teaching to sit. So that's normal. So he he unrolls the scroll. He sits to speak. He begins to speak, and speak he does. He begins his sermon with an amazing sentence. He really grabs their attention by saying, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Jesus is saying today, he has fulfilled the scripture. Today, he is God's salvation to the world. Now, I don't want us to miss what Jesus is saying here. I want you to dwell on this first line here. Today, the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. I mean, Jesus is dropping a bombshell on this congregation. He is shaking them up. He's telling them that, that he is God's salvation in the world and that through him, God's deliverance, God's promise of hope, God's promise of freedom has come to his people. Jesus is really revealing something about himself. He's making clear his mission, his calling, his task as he goes about his ministry on the earth. Jesus is setting the scope, the limits, and the horizon of his ministry. So what does it mean that Jesus is our salvation? What does it mean that he has fulfilled this passage in Isaiah in his time and in our time? I think the best way to get a handle on this is to first look at this passage as Isaiah said it to his people many years ago. The people had returned from captivity in Babylon, and they were trying to rebuild their ruins, but things weren't going very well for them. The people were getting discouraged. They thought God had maybe abandoned them. And times were hard, food was scarce, and hope for the future was in short supply. The people were so desperate and full of mourning that they even covered their heads with ashes, and they wore sackcloth, which was the garment of mourning. But Isaiah comes and he says to all of this, God is here, he will deliver, he will save, he will make you a mighty nation. Through you, God will keep his promise to bring salvation to the world. You see, this passage is one of hope, of freedom, of release, a passage of salvation. Now, when Jesus said, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing, he was saying the same kind of thing to the people of his day. He's saying, God will deliver, God will restore, God will keep his promises to you, that through you, salvation, deliverance, freedom will come to the peoples of the earth. See, this would have been exciting to the people. And they, he, he even may have gotten a few amens. But Jesus went beyond Isaiah. He didn't mean that one nation would be restored. He didn't mean that the physical restoration of the temple would take place. But Jesus was talking about a spiritual restoration instead of a physical one. Jesus was talking about God's plan of salvation for the whole earth instead of just one nation of Israel. Jesus was saying that through him, God would bring salvation to all people. Jesus was saying that through him, salvation would come to us today. Salvation is here for us because Jesus has fulfilled this passage. 
And this salvation is seen very clear in this passage. Jesus says that part of his salvation is to preach the good news. The good news is that God is with us. God cares about us. There is forgiveness. There is hope. There is renewal. Jesus knew that in a world where people find only the bad news, where sin, death, and the devil are alive and well, we need some good news. We need to know that God has not abandoned us. Amen? And isn't that true for us today? We need to be reminded over and over again that God is with us. If you just watch the news one night this week, you will be reminded that there is a lot of bad news in our world. Perhaps the gunman who went in the office building and killed a bunch of people and then shot himself. The woman who, who, who left her children in the car and they suffocated. Violence and wars raging overseas. You see, there is a lot of violence, a lot of bad news in our world, and one in the face of all that could wonder if God is still around. But this passage reminds us that he is. God is still here amidst all the bad news, amidst all the violence in our world. God is still here. You see, the good news of salvation needs to be proclaimed in our world. As we experience the brokenness of this world, as we live among all the violence, all of man's inhumane actions, the the good news of Jesus Christ needs to be proclaimed loud and clear. There is still hope. There is still God. He is here amidst all that is wrong with our world. He is here amidst all the killing, all the hatred, all the abuse we pile upon one another. God is still here. That is the good news. That is our hope. That is our deliverance. Jesus also says in this passage, there is release for the captives. Isaiah was speaking about those still in prison, but Jesus goes beyond that. He is saying there is release for the captives of this world, those captive by sin and their own selfishness. You see, we can be made new creatures because God can release us from ourselves, from our sins, so that we might be a service to him and to our neighbor. You see, in our freedom from sin, we have the opportunity to give ourselves over to God, to turn over to him our lives, our souls, and our hearts. You see, Jesus releases us from the captivity to self which is really what sin is all about, so that we may be free to respond to him. Finally, Jesus says that salvation means to give liberty to those who are oppressed. Jesus is saying that salvation frees people from the oppressions of this world. I can, I can promise you that Jesus is still concerned for these same types of things today. He is concerned, and it is, it is his body, the church, that is the caring agent in this world. Now, we don't have Jesus walking the earth today, reaching out to touch the disease, to give food to the hungry, to bring comfort and courage to the oppressed, but we do have his church, his body in this world doing the very same thing today. We, the body of Christ, aid to bring healing to the disease, food to the hungry, and comfort to the oppressed. We do that for people in and outside of our community. You might ask, how are we doing that here at Neartown Church. Well, outside of our community, we partner with, with some missionaries overseas in Africa. 
And they are doing these very things. They are, they are, are, are healing the disease, food to the hungry, comfort to the oppressed, and they're proclaiming the name of Jesus, and people are being rescued from their sins. Because if you're a contribution to this church, that is happening overseas. You might ask, how do we do that in our own community? Well, we have something during the week called our small groups, our NT groups, where we meet and care for one another and pray for one another. Well, how do, how do we reach out to the, to, the, to, the heal, to the disease, to the hungry, to the, to the oppressed? We have many opportunities coming up, three or four opportunities coming up. John's going to talk about them when we close today. There are ways that you can get involved in doing this. So the people in the synagogue sensed an air of of, of authority from Jesus. You see, he read, he preached unlike any other man had done in that synagogue. He grabbed their full attention, all of their eyes, all of their ears, all of their attention We're on this man. This man who said that he was now God's salvation in the world. But then they started thinking, isn't this Joseph's son? Isn't this that that young boy we saw growing up? He running around in diapers with, with with my boys? Isn't his dad just a carpenter? I mean, how can he say he is God's Messiah? There isn't anything special about him. You see, Jesus started, started off being popular with the people. He had picked a text that, that the people were familiar with. He had, he had reminded them that they were indeed God's special people. But then he went on. He went on to say that God is continuing his plan of salvation. He is continuing his plan through him. And this was unpopular. You see, the people wanted a Messiah who would drive the Romans out of their land. They wanted a new king like David who would bring victory, who would bring wealth and prosperity to their land. So when Jesus said he was now the Messiah, this man who had no army, no home, no wealth, but only 12 common men to follow him who begged for food and taught things that stirred up the people, they began to question who he was. They began to wonder, how can God bring salvation through a wandering preacher and his band of fishermen and tax collectors? How could this be? You see, sometimes you and I forget, too, that God works through the common, ordinary things of life. God does, and He can work through the spectacular, but most of the time, God works through common, ordinary people and the things of this earth. God doesn't need a great show. He doesn't need great wealth. He doesn't need a great army. He doesn't need great fame because God in and of Himself is all-powerful. He is mighty. He has the truth for living, so all He needs is common people and common things like water, bread, and wine to bring his powerful message to the earth. Because he is. You see, the words we speak about God, the lessons that are read, this sermon that is being preached are brought to you by a common, ordinary person with common, ordinary words. It isn't our words. It isn't the person who says these words that gives them authority. But it is God himself. You see, I'm just a vehicle, just a tool of God. It is God who brings the truth of these words into your heart. It is God's Spirit that brings the authority of these words that changes people's lives and assures them of the grace of God. It is God's promise that He is here today with us as we proclaim His word through the Scripture, through the songs that Matt sang, through this sermon. He brings authority and power to this service. You see, any pastor, any preacher knows that he is just a tool, a delivery system, 
in the hands of God. You see, a pastor isn't any different from any of you. We all hurt. We all feel. We all make mistakes. We all feel the whole spectrum uh, spectrum of emotions the same. Joy, loneliness, happiness, sorrow, etc. But we also know that somehow God has called us to use our words, our lives, as a way to deliver his message of salvation to people. But God doesn't just call pastors and preachers to be the delivery systems for his message of salvation. Guess what? You are also called. We are all called. We all have the calling from God through our salvation to be his children, to be his tools on this earth. You are called through your vocation, through your work to bring God's message of salvation to the people you meet, the people you come in contact with. God does use all of us in our own unique ways, with our own unique talents and gifts to bring his message of salvation to this world. Some of you might say, oh, I don't know about that. I don't think God speaks through me or can speak through me. I want to give you an illustration of how God does use the ordinary. And the way he orchestrates things to fit fit into only the way he could fit it. A lot of you know, many of you may not, that I I was in Africa for two years doing, doing ministry. And um, I would have many teams that would come over and, and work with me while I was there. And one time a team was in, and we were, we were in a, a rural area, and we were having a preaching crusade every night. We, were, we would invite the entire town. And we would have between one to 3,000 people show up each night. And on the third night, they asked me if I would like to preach that night. So I said I would. And I had something prepared, and it was, my sermon was going to take about 30 minutes. Um, I got up on stage to preach, and there was two men. I had a translator, um, but there was two. And I was like, why is there two men on stage with me? It's like, oh, we've got to translate from this language to this language. I'm like, okay. Life's not going to work. So my 30-minute sermon was going to be an hour and a half, so I had to think of something really fast. So about four years before I had moved to Ethiopia, I had, I had a dream. And in this dream, it was an illustration of of the gospel, was an illustration of Jesus and the way he saves us. So God just laid it on my heart. He said, share that vision you had four years ago. So I did. I just started to to tell this story as I saw it in my dream. I didn't tell them it was a dream. I just started speaking as, as if I was telling them a story. And at the end of that story, I gave an invitation for for everyone there to receive Jesus. I said, if you would like to receive Jesus, if you would like to be forgiven of your sins, you know, just let us know. Stand up. And there was around 2,000 people there that night. And one man stood up. And he ran to the front. He couldn't get there fast enough. But you could tell in the crowd of people that there was something significant about this man. There was something different. There was something that, that created an event, the fact that he was coming forward. So he prayed to, to receive Christ that day. And after I was finished, I went off stage and... I began to talk to this man, and upon talking to him, I realized that he was a Muslim. And not only was he a Muslim, but he was an imam, which means that he was a Muslim leader. Basically, he was a pastor of, of, of a Muslim mosque. And the fact that he was coming forward in front of all these people to turn away from Islam and turn towards Christianity was not only a great event, but his life would have been in danger at that point. 
So I asked him, I said, why in the world would you come forward like that in front of all these people? And he says, well, the story you told, I had in a dream last night. And I was floored. I was like, at that, at, from that moment on, I was like, God, you are all powerful. If I didn't believe it then, I believed it now. And I said, that is amazing. He didn't know, but then I told him, I had the same dream six years before. And he is now going to mosque to share Jesus with the people. Instead of teaching the religion of Islam, he, he, he is sharing the grace of God with them. God is amazing. And he can use each and every one of us. And that brings us to the second part of Jesus' message, which made him unpopular with the people. He reminded the Jews that all people were to receive God's salvation. He reminded them of two Old Testament stories where Elijah and Elisha brought food and healing to a widow and a leper who were not Jews but were Gentiles. Now the Jews didn't like to be reminded of this because they thought the Gentiles were dogs. And they felt that they were God's chosen people. They thought that they were the only ones that had a special place in God's plan of salvation. So they became very angry with Jesus for reminding him of these stories. In fact, they literally tried to kill Jesus because of what he says here. You see, there's nothing exclusive about the gospel message. It doesn't exclude anyone. But Jesus says the gospel is to include all those who are crying out to hear the good news, all those who need some confidence that they are not alone in this pilgrimage of life. But God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit are present today. You see, all of us have a calling from God to be his tools, his vehicles, his instruments, his delivery systems of salvation in this world. We are called, we are encouraged by his words through teaching, preaching, and meditating on scripture. And we are given courage and strength to be his voice on this earth. You see, the task is well defined. The call has been extended to you. God's authority is still present behind our words. So all that is left to do is to act. All there is left for us to do is to be committed to be about our calling to God's delivery system on this earth. But sad to say, for far too long now, we have neglected this call. We have ignored our task. We have, in many cases, isolated ourselves and God's words as a possession we have hoarded for our own keeping. Anybody seen that show, Hoarders, where they get all that stuff in their house and it just like piles up? Some of us do that with God's word. We take it in, we take it in, it piles up all around us, but we never do anything with it. It's just there. We have in some cases become like the Jews of Jesus' time, thinking that God's message is only for us and not for people who are different than we are, who are not what we think they should be. I would like to call your attention to the last line of this story. It says, but passing through their midst, he went away. These people were trying to kill him. (laughs) What just happened? I mean, did, did, did Jesus know, like, Kung Fu or something? I can see him up there like... I mean, y'all should see my spinning back kick. I get about this high off the ground. It's awesome. You know, I came up with all these scenarios trying to think of, like, what, what Jesus was, was doing there. Like, he, he's backed up against a cliff. He's been ready to throw off of it, and then he passed through their midst. So, like, did he negotiate with them? He's like, you know, don't kill me. You know, 
I'm Jesus, you know. I, I mean, I don't know. I mean, or maybe he'd use like a Jedi mind trick. He just like waved his hand and they were all confused. Like, I mean, I, but, but we can learn something from the response of people in Jesus' home synagogue. And that is you will either receive or reject Jesus, but you cannot ignore him. The truth of God may make you mad before it sets you free. Some of you may not like what you've heard here today, but that's okay. I'm just to deliver the message. It's your job to decide what you're going to do with it. When you hear the word of God, it will usually make you either mad or glad, depending on the condition of your heart. So at this point, you need to ask, Lord, what are you trying to say to me today? If you are without Jesus, it's obvious. God is saying, I offer grace to you. You don't have to be good enough, or you, do, you, you cannot do good enough to earn salvation. It's a gift. Will you receive him today? And like a gift is extended to you, if I have a gift in my hand and I say, here is your gift, is it yours yet? No, it's still in my hand. You have to take it. You have to reach out your hand and take it for yourself. That's what God is offering you today. If you do not know him, he is saying, you are separated from me for eternity unless you recognize your sin and ask me to forgive you. In Romans it says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that he was raised from the dead, you will be saved. The important part is believing. You can say with your mouth all day long, every day. It did not mean anything unless you believe it. So if you want to do that today, confess your sins before God. Ask him to save you. Ask him to come into your life and believe that it can happen. And if you have received Jesus, will you make sure that you are on this train that Jesus is pulling? Get on board and let yourself be used as a delivery system of God's saving grace in this world. The only thing we have left to do is act whether you know him or you don't. 